Welcome to Addressing Alaskans, where we feature community conversations around South Central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel throughout our community and listen to local groups discuss what matters to them. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. I'm Ammon Swenson. Today's show is a debate on Ballot Measure 1, the North Slope Oil Production Tax Increase Initiative. This event was held virtually on October 6th and was presented by Alaska Common Ground. Speaking in support of the initiative are Robin Brenna and State Senator Bill Wilikowski. Brenna is chair for Alaska's Fair Share and helped draft the initiative. Senator Wilikowski is currently a member of the Senate Finance Committee. Speaking in opposition to the initiative are Aaron Shutt and Roger Marks. Shutt is president and CEO of Doy Unlimited, and Marks is a longtime Alaska Petroleum economist. We'll start with moderator Drew Kaysen. So both sides seem to agree that passing ballot measure one would bring in much needed state revenue uh, in the near term, but they disagree on whether or not it would cause reductions in production that would outweigh any benefits. And with the, there's a fairly simple uh, proposition before us tonight, which is that Alaskans should vote yes to pass ballot measure one. And so without further ado, I will hand it over to Senator Bill Wilikowski to lead off arguments for the proposition. Good evening. Robin Brennan and I are here today representing the 40,000 Alaskans who signed the petition to get this initiative on the ballot, the hundreds of volunteers working on this campaign, and the many small businesses who will benefit if it passes. In 2013, the legislature passed Senate Bill 21, which dramatically cut Alaska's share of our oil wealth. This bill was perhaps the most massive transfer of our resource wealth in Alaska's history. It transferred billions of dollars from Alaskans to the oil industry. We now receive the lowest share for our oil in state history. In exchange, Alaskans were made a series of promises. They set a goal of a million barrels of oil per day. In fact, they named the bill the More Alaska Production Act. The oil industry promised Alaskans more jobs, more investment, more revenue to the state and a growing permanent fund. The oil industry spent tens of millions of dollars in ads convincing Alaskans that we'd be better off taking billions less for our oil. Supporters of this massive transfer of our oil wealth said, give it a chance. And Alaskans are trusting, trusting people. They gave them that chance. So here we are, seven years later, that they honor their promises. Instead of a million barrels of oil per day, oil production has dropped to below 500,000 barrels per day for the first time in state history, even before the pandemic, and there's no rebound in sight. Did they keep their promises on jobs? Just four weeks after the citizens' referendum, BP laid off 475 Alaska oil jobs, and you can't blame oil prices because oil was near $100 per barrel. The oil industry has since cut another 5,000 jobs while increasing the percentage of non-residents working on the slope. Did they keep their promises on investment? Our Prudhoe Bay investment dropped from 826 million to 202 million. Slope-wide capital investment dropped by billions even before the pandemic. Did they keep their promise on more revenue to the state? In the last five years when factoring in tax credits, the state has had a negative production tax. In other words, we've actually paid the oil industry more in tax credits than we've gotten in production taxes. And did they keep their promise on the permanent fund? We all know the answer to that. Under Senate Bill 21, the oil industry has taken about $1 billion per year in deductible oil tax credits. That's the equivalent of every man, woman, and child giving up roughly $1,500 of their PFD to the oil industry every single year. And what have we gotten for that? Thousands of fewer jobs, billions less in investment, billions in lost revenue, and a PFD that's been cut by two-thirds. So where did that money go? Did the oil companies reinvest it in Alaska? Since SB 21, 68% of ConocoPhillips' worldwide profit came from Alaska, yet they had reinvested only 15% of their capital in Alaska during that time frame. Instead, Alaska's oil wealth is being used to fund jobs and investment 
in Indonesia, China, Libya, and other places. While Alaskans have seen their permanent fund dividends cut by two-thirds, ConocoPhillips increased their dividends to their shareholders by 60% in the last two years. While Alaska has blown through billions in savings in the last few years, ConocoPhillips has paid off $12 billion in debt since Senate Bill 21 passed. While Alaskans have seen draconian cuts to our marine highway system, education, pre-K, public safety, the university, and more, ConocoPhillips increased their stock buyback authorization from $10 billion to $25 billion in the last few months. By any metric, the all-wealth giveaway has been a catastrophic policy failure. It's not like many did not see this coming. When we were debating this all-wealth transfer in 2013, we asked for commitments in statute to require more jobs, Alaska higher, more investment, more production, more state revenue. The oil industry opposed every single one of those requests, and the legislature compliantly agreed. There's a long history of Alaskans trusting the oil industry to do the right thing, and an unfortunate long history of the industry choosing their corporate shareholders over Alaskans. You can't blame the industry for trying to make as much as they can, but you can blame the legislature for not insisting we get our fair share for our shareholders, the people of Alaska. And now here we are again. The legislature has had seven years to fix this bill, but they've refused. There is nothing new in this initiative. The issues of transparency, gross taxes, progressivity, and ring fencing have been studied in legislative hearings for over 15 years. The problem isn't studying, it's doing. Under the Alaska Constitution, when the, when the legislature abdicates its responsibility, when it refuses to fix a problem, the people of the state have a constitutional right to fix it themselves. That's what this initiative does. It's a simple bill, only applies to three fields, Prudhoe Bay Unit, Kapark River Unit, and the Colville River Unit. It does four things. It requires transparency of financial data, cuts deductible oil tax credits, closes a loophole that allows oil companies to deduct costs unrelated to producing oil from the units, and it raises the minimum tax rate from 4% to 10% and increases that slightly as oil prices rise. This is still below the 12.5% tax rate that was in effect here in Alaska for decades. And while the oil companies are spending tens of billions of dollars to try once again to convince Alaskas to take far less for our oil, under this initiative, the oil industry will still pay less than what they paid in Alaska for decades. In Texas and North Dakota, the oil industry pays roughly 35% for oil taxes and royalties when this initiative passes, we will get royalties and taxes of 22.5% of the value of our oil at most oil prices. It's time Alaskans acted like a sovereign. It's time we heeded the words of Governor Wally Hickel to act like the owner state we are. It's time we heeded the words of Governor Jay Hammond got our fair share. I hope you'll join me in supporting ballot measure one to ensure Alaskans get our fair share for our oil. Thank you. Thank you very much, Senator, for those uh, lead off remarks. And I'd now like to turn to our first speaker in opposition to the ballot measure, uh, Aaron Shutt. Good evening, everyone. Each election year, Alaskans face important choices at our ballot box that impact our state for years to come. And this year is no exception. I would ask you to vote no on ballot measure one for three simple reasons. First, it's about the people. Second, there's no such thing as free money in our world. And third, you can't do finished carpentry with a chainsaw. I'm gonna explain that last one here in a few minutes. The first thing, it's about the people. I wanna talk about the potential impact of ballot measure one on people, on Alaskans, our neighbors, our friends and our family, and our employees at Doyon. On the screen are pictures of David Evans and his family. David's worked for us for 40 years, since the late 1980s. He's made a career, supported his family and his community of Rampart, in Alaska's oil field. There are thousands of Davids in Alaska's oil industry. The proponents of ballot measure one would have you believe that we'll all win if the measure passes. The reality is starkly different. 
the reality is that thousands of high-paying jobs in Alaska will disappear. I can say that with confidence because the ANCSA Regional Association recently sponsored an independent economic analysis by the American Action Forum, and it shows that 6,300 Alaska jobs will disappear if ballot measure one passes. And that result shouldn't surprise any of us. It's common sense that when you dramatically raise taxes on any industry, it will reduce investment in that industry and activity in that industry, and that will result in a loss of jobs. Tonight and on November 3rd, I want you to remember that those jobs are held by real Alaskans, Alaskans like David Evans. I want you to ask yourself when you hear the ballot measure one proponents say it won't affect Alaska jobs, whether that statement makes any sense to you. I want you to ask them where is their economic analysis that backs up their assertion. The answer is they haven't provided any analysis. It's just empty rhetoric. Can we put up the second slide, please? Next, I wanna talk about free money. The proponents focus on how unfair current oil production taxes are to Alaska. I wanna start by recognizing that how difficult that is a question to answer at the ballot box. Most Alaskans, me included, aren't oil tax policy experts. While the question of whether current oil production taxes are fair is an important question, that's really not the question we're here to talk about tonight. The question we're here to talk about tonight is whether ballot measure one is good public policy. That question I can answer with a definitive no. If approved, ballot measure one will result in the loss of thousands of good paying Alaska jobs and billions of dollars of investment and deferred investment in Alaska's oil fields. Those lost investments will compound our challenges in a few years as lost investment will mean less oil production in the future. The graph I'm showing directly contradicts a major portion of the message shared by the proponents. Under ACES, we were the only oil province in the world where production declined when oil prices were over $100 a barrel. By contrast, after SB21 passed, oil production stabilized and actually increased for two years despite dramatically lower oil prices. Just as importantly, during the period of SB21, industry invested in exploration and development of new fields like ConocoPhillips Willow Field, the Pika Field now being developed by Oil Search. Both of those fields are on the cusp of production, but they still need billions of dollars of investment before they contribute that production and help refill our Trans-Alaska Pipeline and the state's treasury. The proponents of Ballot Measure 1 would have you believe that oil taxes do not meaningfully affect oil company behavior and investments. They say there's free money to be had. I learned growing up in Toke, which is not in Texas, that there's no free money out there. We have to work for all of it. And that lesson is valuable here. If it's too good to be true, it's probably not true. I wanna end by addressing the state's financial situation. Another thing I grow, uh, sorry, another thing I learned growing up in Toke was that you have to use the right tool for the job. As they have an old saying in Tope, you don't build your kitchen cabinets with a chainsaw. There's no doubt that the state of Alaska faces a difficult and complex financial situation. Our state's revenue is down significantly. Our expenses clearly haven't declined at the same rate. Ballot measure one sponsors would have you believe this measure will magically solve our budget crisis, if only it were so easy. A few years ago, I participated in a number of public forums about our state's fiscal situation. I clearly recognize the need for new revenue for Alaska. In my opinion, that new revenue does need to include some additional amount from the oil and gas industry. But we also need new revenue from other industries in Alaska that currently pay almost nothing in state taxes. 
we as individual Alaskans also need to contribute our fair share. And a solution requires further reasonable reduction in our state's expenditures. In other words, we need a nimble set of policy changes in Alaska. In contrast, ballot measure one is a chainsaw that doesn't solve our fiscal problem. The AEF economic model shows it will raise about $253 million per year at current oil prices and production. But that relatively small gain comes at a very large cost in jobs and investment. It's just not good public policy. It's the wrong tool for the job. In sum, I'd ask you when you go to the ballot box to remember your fellow Alaskans whose jobs rely on your vote. Remember, there's no free money in this world. And remember, you can't build cabinets with a chainsaw. That's why I'm voting no, and I ask you to join me on November 3rd. Thank you. Thank you for those remarks, Aaron. And I would now like to turn to Mr. Robin Brenna to close out the affirmative case on the behalf of the proposition. Good evening, all. It's my pleasure to be here. And Aaron, I, I did most of my finished carpentry with the chainsaw. So, <clears throat> and with regard to free money, we've been giving away free money to the industry ever since Senate Bill 21 passed. They certainly found plenty of free money in Alaska. Let me be sure that we frame this question correctly. This is about what's best for Alaska, not what's best for Doyon, not what's best for some Texas-based uh, oil companies. <clears throat> it's what's best for Alaska, all Alaskans. We have a constitutional duty to optimize the value of our resources to the citizens of all Alaska, not just a few folks. Let me point out this isn't a partisan issue. You know, it was, uh, it was Republican governors that put in the basis for fair share. We have businessmen here arguing to continue to get a third of what the Republican businessmen in Alaska determined were our fair share when we begin our arrangement with the industry. Governor Palin, Governor Hammond, we're getting a fraction of what they were able to get. Gov Governor Palin got 38% of gross. We're getting 12.5% of gross today, less than a third. <clears throat> so there's plenty of free money to be had. It's just not had for Alaskans, it's being had by Texans. And then let me say that, you know, about uh, framing the issue as a tax issue. This is an ownership issue. We all own hundreds of billions of dollars of oil resources. And what we're discussing here is what our, what our fair share should be to have those, those oil resources extracted from our stake and taken and sold on the West Coast. So you can, <clears throat> And when you talk about uh, any kind of uh, tax issue, bear in mind that we gave them a massive, massive 600% uh, tax decrease before we're trying to balance it out now. So the problem here is <clears throat> that Senate Bill 21 went too far. It took too much. It has proven to be the largest resource giveaway in Alaskans history. We're getting less for our oil than when Bill Allen was bribing legislators in Juneau. To take a look at the five-year period before Senate Bill 21, we got $21 billion or $4.2 billion a year under our production tax system. If you take a look at the five-year period after Senate Bill 21, we've gotten $2 billion in total or $400 million a year, less than one-tenth of the amount that we got before. Considering cashable credits that the state has awarded and still owes, we have paid more to the industry than they have paid us in production taxes. And as we sit here today for next year, we owe $738 million in cashable credits next year that we are not able to pay to the industry. And 
they are projected under Senate Bill 21 to pay us $122 million. And please don't listen to this idea, oh, it's the price of oil that went down dramatically. The price of oil did go down, that's a fair comment, but it's not even the primary driver. The price of oil went down 35%. Our net production taxes went from $3.8 billion to negative. If you wanna know the single reason why Alaska went into an economic tailspin after Senate Bill 21 and before the pandemic, it's because of the complete collapse of our production tax revenues under Senate Bill 21. The suffering in Alaska, I don't know how much suffering we gotta go through before we realize we went too far. We've blown through $17 billion of savings. We've lost 15,000 jobs, 5,500 of them in the industry. By the way, North Dakota in this period had the lowest unemployment rate in the nation. Well, Alaska had the highest. And we both had the same, we were both oil states. The difference between us was they kept more of their wealth in North Dakota than we were able to do. We keep less of our oil than any other state by about a third, any, any major resource oil in the world. We do a worse job than the Nigerians, than the Russians, than the Brazilians, countries that can find a way to screw anything up. We're doing a worse job than those countries with taking care and being stewards of our resources. K through 12 education really doesn't exist and is being compromised anymore. Our universities are being gutted. Our marine highway system doesn't even function. The municipal support for uh, schools has ended. And the, and the largest single source of revenue to close the budget deficit by the Dunleavy administration, the largest single thing they proposed was to go to the North Slope and take the municipal property taxes away from the North Slope borough. $400 million a year, 300 million of which would have come out of the North Slope borough. So, and what's been happening while well, we've been suffering? The industry put ads on our, on our newspaper after Senate Bill 21 and before <clears throat> the, uh, the pandemic about the renaissance that they were enjoying. ConocoPhillips raised their dividends 60%, paid off billions of dollars of debt, increased their, their stock authorizations to $25 billion. Do you know what ConocoPhillips did two days ago? Two days ago, they authorized to buy back $1 billion of shareholder stock in the fourth quarter of this year before the end of the year. They're doing fine. The price of oil is coming back. You know, we shouldn't be setting oil policy in Alaska based on the fears of the oil industry shills. That's not the way that we should approach uh, making resource decisions in Alaska. Governor Hammond had it spot on when he said, I'd start at 99% and I would lower the production tax down until they started drilling and I'd stop. ConocoPhillips profits, they make twice as much in Alaska than any other place in the world. The first year, the first full year, 2014, that Senate Bill 21 was in effect, they made in net profit $31 in Alaska. They made $4.43 in the lower 48 and $15.21 in the rest of the world. These fields and these companies can afford it. We need to show some fortitude. We need to go ahead and stand up for Alaska. And there is no reasonable solution to solving the deficit without this being a part of it. And transparency, I don't want to sit here and here go through these public relations uh, arguments for decades uh, on partial and, and, and misinformation. 
the transparency that the Fair Share Act provides will tell that you Alaskans will know exactly how these producers are doing in our major fields. Thank you. Thank you for those remarks, Robin. And now to wrap up the affirmative speeches for today's debate, I'd like to turn to Mr. Roger Marks. Well, good evening. Before you let someone tell you what is or isn't fair, voters should think for themselves about what fairness means. The sponsors of the Fair Share Initiative would have you believe the state is entitled to one-third of gross revenues. It's clearly stated on their website. It's their standard that drives the terms of the initiative, and it is absurd. Let's look at slide one. Gross revenues, by definition, are the oil market price less transportation costs. So a price is $60 a barrel and transportation is 10. The gross value is 50. That's about what is average under SB 21, the current tax. But part of gross revenues consists of production costs. Costs of average about $25. That's 50% of the gross. And if the state gets 33%, as his pie chart shows, it doesn't leave much for the taxpayer. If prices are low or costs are high, production costs take up a big portion of the gross. In the past, when costs were much lower or prices higher, getting one-third of gross may have been fine, but any reference to historical percentages of gross as a standard for fair is arbitrary and meaningless. What is a suitable standard for fair? Producers have plenty of opportunities outside Alaska. Being competitive is essential for tracking investment. Let's look at slide two. Government take is the percent of pre-tax profit that goes to government, includes all state and federal taxes and royalties. It's how economists measure competitiveness. There are three lines here. The bottom line shows a government take of the median of 12 other U.S. and international jurisdictions Alaska competes with. I call this a competitive norm. The middle line is SB21. It's above the norm and high and low prices and competitive in the middle. If you follow the numbers in the Department of Revenue Sources book over the last five years, the producers paid 74% of the pre-tax profits to the government. The competition paid 64%. And the top line is ballot measure one. It's way above the norm in all prices. It's 150 to 350% tax increase depending on price. SB 21 is a sound tax when viewed against reasonable standards of fairness. State revenues fell after 2014 because oil prices fell. Let's look at slide three. The left graph, graph shows price. SB 21 went into effect in 2014, about the same time oil markets began to crash. Nationally, employment in the, in the petroleum sector fell 30%. And the right graph shows at the same time, costs were rising. This is a net tax. A $1 increase in cost is the same as a $1 decrease in price, and both were happening simultaneously. Let's look at slide four. This shows the net effect in putting both graphs together. It's the pre-tax profit, the price minus the cost. In 2016, the producers had pre-tax profit of $3 before paying $8 in severance royalty and property tax. Under the ballot measure one, they would pay more. In addition, as Dr. Townsend showed, production was dropping prior to SB 21. There was more oil back then. State revenues will have dropped under any tax regime. To blame lower revenues on SB 21 is to misread history. Alaska oil profits are not excessive. Let's look at slide five. The consulting firm Wood McKenzie recently pegged production and transportation costs in Alaska at $20 more than the lower 48. Excuse me, this slide's not coming through. Oh, there we go. Okay. Consulting firm Wood McKenzie recently pegged production and transportation costs in Alaska at $20 more than the lower 48. Financial statements have to be read carefully. Lower 48's word 48 results are diluted with low value natural gas operations and cannot assess the relative profitability of oil by comparing it to gas. Sponsors say producers made no, paid no severance tax between 2015 and 19. To get to that result, you have to combine two completely distinct ledgers. Let's look at slide six. The producers quite clearly paid $2 billion in severance tax, and does not, that does not include another $9 billion they paid in royalty property and income tax, and this is right out of the DOR data. 
At the same time, non-North Slope producers and small North Slope explorers receive $2 billion in credits, and those credits have been phased out. If you paid $10,000 to the IRS and your neighbor got a $10,000 refund, it would not be accurate to say you paid no tax. And ballot measure one is directed at the same producers who paid the tax. Let's look at slide seven. When SB 21 replaced ACEs, the tax rate was increased from 25 to 35%. If they had stopped there, it would have been a very high tax. So at the same time, they put in progressivity. But instead of increasing the tax rate as prices go up, it started at a high 35% and decreased the tax rate as prices go down. The mechanism to decrease the tax rate is a per barrel credit. It's a higher credit at low prices and a lower credit at high prices, and the results are progressivity. The top line shows what SB 21 would look like without the per barrel credit. It does not really function as a credit. It's not a subsidy. It's not a giveaway. It's as if, the I, if your I, it's as if your IRS tax rate was 20%, but the way you get there is first they tax you at 35%, and then they give you a credit to get your rate down to 20%. The higher 35% rate and the per barrel credit were engineered to work together to make a competitive tax structure in the context of all the other taxes and royalties. Let's look at slide eight. And so to get, and so to, get to the state getting one third of gross revenues, their standard for fairness, it would have to be the most haphazard tax design in history. The Fair Share Act just takes away the per barrel credit and keeps the high 35% rate. This results in a higher tax rate than ACEs if prices up to $120 a barrel. And Mr. Shute laid out what happened under ACEs. No one thought ACEs was not high enough. This is not serious tax design. This is a few people sitting around a room behind closed doors. When you hear the Fair and Fair Share Act, be aware it's a loaded term. It's used in a way that makes no economic sense. In my book, the state getting 33% of gross while the taxpayers get 13 is not fair. And more important, investors won't think it's fair either given what they get in other places and they have options. Mr. Ken Alper, who worked on the initiative, was quoted in the Daily News the other day as saying, if this passes, he hopes a legislator to come back and, this is his own words, pass a fair middle way tax. The state has tried more than once the experiment on not being competitive and it failed. Thank you. Thank you very much for those remarks, Roger. And uh, I would now, would now like to hand it over to Robin Brenna to offer a rebuttal speech on behalf of the proposition. Well, several things there. Uh, first of all, you can, and the Legislative Research Service does compare uh, ConocoPhillips' uh, profitability in Alaska, the lower 48, and uh, foreign countries. Uh, and uh, that is available and it is public. And what it shows is that, uh, that they make uh, two to three times more per barrel in Alaska than they do anywhere else in the world. And so <clears throat> he's talking about what's competitive and what's not competitive. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how, if you're making two or three times more, how, it's, how, how that could possibly be. In fact, for the entire time that Senate Bill <clears throat> 21 has been in effect, uh, they lost money in the lower 48 and they made uh, $6.31 a barrel between two and a half times that in Alaska. So if you want to decide what's fair is, decide what's fair. Now, when you're talking about this, uh, Mr. Marks does these government take calculations. This is pretty simple. We get 12.5% for royalties. That's half of what the other oil states get. They get 25%. So that's the royalty portion. And royalties, by the way, despite people grouping them in with taxes, are not taxes. It's our oil we sell. And what we get for it, they get our oil for it. So, so they don't get credit for royalties. But if you want to look at royalties, 
It's 12.5% in Alaska, which is half of what it is anywhere else in any other state in the Union, major oil state. So then there's production taxes. We have paid more in credits than we've gotten in taxes. Okay, but the, but the taxes, <clears throat> so if you put those two together, you have 12.5% in Alaska when, the other, when our sister oil states are getting over 30%. Now, how in the world can that be true and we be getting a fair share? What is fair about getting less than any other state, major oil state? And, and I don't mean a little bit left. I mean a whole lot less. I'm talking about uh, uh, the other oil states getting two and a half times what we're getting. So uh, uh, Mr. Mark's analysis, uh, you know, and competitiveness just doesn't uh, jive with the actual real world numbers that we owe, uh, that, that we're familiar with. And I guess <clears throat> um, when we take a look at this about what's fair, uh, Governor Hammond said a third was fair. We've averaged 27% of gross over the years. We're getting 12 and a half now. Palin got 38% of gross. Other states get over 30% of gross. There is no question at all that any standard of fairness has us at about a third. And we have, we have the same people advocating for you to vote no that got us in this economic mess in the first place. I mean, we have, a, we have almost complete economic collapse in Alaska. I don't know how much more suffering that these people want Alaska to go through before we actually start getting something again for our oil. If the Fair Share Act passes, we will get under our average for the last 30 years. There will be no impact to jobs at all. And, 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 and if, if under your average, if hitting under your average for 30 years isn't fair, then I just don't know what is. And I don't care. Uh, I've, I've critiqued uh, Mr. Marx's government take calculations. Okay, we're about out of time for this one. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, then I'll go ahead all and right. stop Thank there you. and don't find them to be credible at all. Thank you very much, Robin. I think we missed the, missed the dinger on that one. So you got a little I, bit I of didn't hear I was, I was listening for it. I'm sorry. No, no worries at all. Okay. And then I'd now like to turn it over to Mr. Shutt for the rebuttal on behalf of the opposition. Thank you, Drew. Tonight, Mr. Brenna and Senator Wolkowski have argued that ballot measure one is not going to have any impact on investment and jobs in Alaska. Instead, they say very counterintuitively that ballot measure one is going to solve the state's fiscal problems and lead to increased jobs. Their arguments remind me of an old George Strait country song. I got oceanfront property in Arizona. You guys know the words. It's going to be in your head for a while. As I said in my opening statement, there's no free money. It's common sense that a large tax increase is gonna cause industry to invest less and we're gonna lose jobs. We have an economic study we sponsored. There are two out there that, and Mr. Marks just provided plenty of data to show the economic impacts of ballot measure one passing. In stark contrast, in 15 minutes of talk, We've heard no analysis by third parties, no projections of what ballot measure will do to Alaska's economy, just rhetoric. Next, and Robin said it, he wants us to trust him with the chainsaw. He said he'd build my cabinets with the chainsaw. But a toke boy, I just don't trust even my closest friends and I'm pretty good with the chainsaw myself, Robin. I'm not gonna build my kitchen cabinets with them. It just doesn't ever turn out looking right. 
So I'm not going to rehash the arguments, but we do need a nimble, multifaceted approach to our fiscal problem. In my opinion, again, that includes additional revenue from oil and gas, just not the way ballot measure one does it. Now, I want to bring up one other point now, which is very important, and that's our state's reputation. As we debate a dramatic tax increase on our biggest industry during COVID-19, we're probably the only jurisdiction in the world doing that. The debate alone is scaring off potential investment in our state. In contrast, in the Alaska tourism industry, despite being completely closed this year, people are still talking about, and you're reading about in the newspapers, future investments in Alaska tourism. And why is that? One reason, we're not talking about dramatically increasing taxes on tourism, and tourism doesn't really pay much of a tax in Alaska. Our state is supporting the industry through marketing. The short of it with ballot measure one, we're ignoring the reality of where we are today. There are 40,000 people out of work, We've heard that several times tonight. We have the fifth highest per capita job losses in the nation. We at Doyon have 100% of the rotary drilling market on the North Slope. That's because there's only one rig working right now. This is the wrong time for a risky and poorly constructed ballot measure. I'd ask you again to join me in voting no. Thank you very much, Aaron. And I think there's about 30 seconds left. Roger, you unmuted yourself. Did you want to get in for the last 30 seconds of rebuttal on the timer? <laughs> Quick 30 seconds. The legislative, research, legislative report Mr. Burnett talks about is a classic example of, 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 of uh, trying to compare oil company profits with oil and gas company profits. The way oil and gas accounting works, um, you know, in lower 48, they're 50-50 oil and natural gas. Natural gas is a low-value business. Alaska, it's 100% oil. In financial accounting, you combine them on a per barrel of oil equivalent basis. That's what's in the legislative report. The report, the very report that Mr. Brenner says, explicitly says, drawing conclusions on profitability based solely on this measure is problematic. Uh, that's a quote from the report. Okay, thank you very much for that. And uh, now we get to have some excitement. Uh, we get to let the panelists ask questions of one another. Um, and so uh, the way we have it scripted out here, uh, the opposition gets to ask the first question. So Roger or Aaron, do one of you have a question for uh, Robin and Senator Wilikowski? There are 5 billion barrels left in the legacy fields that would be affected by the initiative. It would impact every invest investment decision on the slope. You cannot yank hundreds of millions of dollars of cash flow from investors without changing their behavior. They'd have less cash, projects are less viable, projects outside Alaska more profitable. Under ballot measure ones, there, there's incentives to switch investments from high tax to low tax fields, incentives to keep production low to circumvent the terms of the tax. New production would have the risk of more ballot initiatives. Mr. Alper's computation, computations released today after one year are simply tax calculations of swapping one input for another. Mr. Alper is not an economist. His calculations do not analyze the trade-offs of what you get and what you, what you risk giving up. There's no reference to any other jurisdiction outside Alaska. To date, you have provided no economic analysis to show the initiative would not neg negatively affect project viability, investment, or competitiveness. Was there an outside analysis? Is there any, any analysis? Can you provide anything? All right, and thank you for that question, Roger. Uh, Robin or Senator Wilikowski, uh, you guys have two minutes between the two of you to uh, have an answer at that. Well, first of all, we have 30 years of experience with higher taxes in the Prudhoe Bay field. <clears throat> and we got more jobs and we got more investment for the last 30 years than we've gotten under Senate Bill 21. So 
uh, we don't, uh, <clears throat> when you have 30 years of experience with a higher level of taxes and that field generates more employment and more wealth for Alaskans, not a whole lot of reason uh, to go pay somebody to give you an answer. So first of all, uh, secondly, these fields and the detailed analysis that we released today in 2018 is a good example. We did a detailed analysis of Prudhoe Bay. Two out of the three dollars for ballot measure one come out of the Prudhoe Bay field. In the Prudhoe Bay field in 2018 alone, the industry made $3.7 billion. They paid us in production taxes, 230 million. 230 million out of $3.7 billion of profits. So, <clears throat> Uh, so if they would have paid their fair share, they would have paid about a billion two, and they still would have made <clears throat> billions of dollars out of Prudhoe Bay in that field. Now, if there's a job that Prudhoe is a mature field, it went into service when the price of oil was less than $4, TAPS was built and Prudhoe Bay went into service when the price, it was authorized when the price was $3.38 or $21 a barrel, half of the price of oil today. So the investment and capital have been recovered decades ago. That is the largest conventional oil field in North America, a low cost, high profit field. There isn't one single fact that they have mentioned that will suggest that you will lose one job out of Prudhoe Bay as a result of passing ballot measure one. And there is not any reason to believe at all that it will impact investment. They're harvesting it and they're gonna invest what they need to invest in order to optimize the liquids. I asked a reservoir engineer that worked Prudhoe for 30 years, have you ever been in a conversation about your tax structure in 30 years? And he said, nope, never comes up. Those are the guys that decide where capital goes into fields. They optimize liquid flow. That's the way it works in the industry. So, right, so I A, Robin, if I could jump in there real quick. Uh, we made it through the two minutes and I'm gonna work on getting my timer volume up louder so that you can hear it here. Okay, I, okay. may I? We'll get one more chance at this one. Okay. Um, so real quickly, I should have said more about the format for asking questions. Um, after the, we'll have one minute to ask a question. There'll be two minutes for the initial response and then both teams will get a one minute follow-up on that. Um, so we'll go ahead and give the opposition their one minute follow-up and then we can send it back to you guys. Uh, I'm sorry about that, that's my bad. So, so the answer is there is no such analysis or modeling. Look, it was easy to take an Excel sheet and increase the tax from A to B and go, wow, look at all that extra money. What's not easy is to understand what might really happen. You heard my concerns earlier. The firm IHS Market, run by Pulitzer economist Daniel Jurgen, recently looked at this and concluded the current tax is one of the least competitive in both the U.S. and internationally, and ballot measure one makes it worse. Under ACES, producers here were making profits, and this was the only place on earth where production fell when prices were over $100 a barrel. Why? Because they can make so much more everywhere else because of the tax. The beauty of the legislative process is that it provides a balanced review and transparency. The Daily News story the other day, Mr. Bernacetti worked with 15 other people developing this and they all want to be anonymous, all of them. If this is true, it's a highly inappropriate way to develop public policy. The initiative lacks transparency and the balanced review good legislation needs. All right, thank you very much, Roger. And so uh, back to the proposition to finish off on this question. Prudhoe Bay, the crown jewel that we're talking about that produces all the wealth, <clears throat> don't take your eyes off it. In 2018, 
they invested $202 million in Prudhoe Bay. Do you know how much we gave them in credits? $742 million, four times more than they invested. That is a waste of our resources. Prudhoe Bay has been developing, has been producing oil for four, four decades without credits at all. And we just gave away three quarters of a billion dollars for oil that would have been produced anyway. What possible economic justification can there be to give four times more credits than they're actually putting capital into something that's been producing with no credits for decades? You don't need very much. Dr. Meyer, uh, uh, he addressed uh, those other studies. They don't use Prudhoe Bay specific costs. One of the things that they're not taking into consideration in any of their thinking is that the Prudhoe Bay is a low cost, high profit field. And that's where we're getting our money out of. That's where we should get our money out of. The Fair Share Act doesn't even apply to new and developing fields at all. How am I doing on time, Drew? Just used it up. Nice timing. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, but with that, uh, you get another uh, chance because you guys get to ask a question of the other side. Okay. Uh, thank you. It was said uh, twice during uh, by the opponents that oil needs to uh, pay some more. Uh, many agree that our oil tax system is broken. Uh, legislators can't find out basic financial data like oil company profits, expenses, or return on investment on particular fields because of our existing laws. Legislative experts have testified for years that they can't believe our confidentiality laws, which force legislators to make oil tax policy decisions in the blind. The state is currently getting four, a 4% 4 production tax for our oil, when for decades we got 12.5%. The failure to ring fence our fields will cost us billions, and deductible oil tax credits have cost the state over $5 billion in lost revenue. The legislature has studied these issues for years and has had multiple opportunities to fix these problems, but has failed to take action. In fact, the House could only organize last year after they agreed not to fix oil taxes. Why should the legislature be trusted to fix the problems with our oil tax system when they've proven incapable of doing so for years? I'd be happy to answer a few of those questions. Number one, I find it a bit ironic that a senator is asking us to comment on the workings of the legislature. You have a lot more access to that information than the rest of us do. I know that a lot of Alaskans are frustrated with debates about oil and gas taxes. And I'll go back to one of my main points. We're not here to talk about whether existing oil and gas tax policy is the correct policy. We're here to talk about whether ballot measure one is good policy and that in an hour, I still have really, and Roger asked the question, we don't have any analysis from your side showing that we should trust you. We don't know what's likely to happen except for the studies on our side that show it will have dramatic negative impacts. The idea that investment won't stop at Prudhoe Bay or won't be lessened is ludicrous. Anyone in the oil field knows that the best place to get more oil is from an existing field. That requires investment. Investment decisions in any company include a calculation about how much taxes are. The idea that taxes don't matter is just laughable in industry, in any industry. Everyone in the business world understands that you have your revenue, you have your costs, and you have your taxes. All three factors play into what the activity is. We don't have any information from your side to show that what you propose will do what you say. In fact, the only information is that it will dramatically hurt Alaskans, it will dramatically hurt investment, 
and it will cause future reductions, very large future reductions in the revenues that we're trying to gain in this state. You're really good at the time, Aaron. You were three seconds from the uh, end of the two minutes. Uh, someone from the proposition want to uh, give a follow-up? Yeah, I'll respond. Uh, just, just on the process, the question was, why should the legislature be trusted to fix the process? The legislature has tried to fix this process. Uh, amendments have been filed multiple times on the Senate floor. Amendments have been filed on the House floor. And what happens is because of the binding caucus that we have, those amendments are routinely voted down along party lines. You know that very well. And, uh, and so what happens is they'll, they'll stand up and they'll say, well, we can't, we can't hear those amendments. They should be heard in committee. And so then we'll file bills and then they'll refuse to give those bills hearings. In fact, you question why there's no analysis or any public hearings on this bill. This bill was a bill matching this initiative was filed. And guess what? They refused to have a public hearing on it. They refused to have any hearings on it. Uh, we asked that uh, Robin be given the opportunity to come and present to the legislature about the initiative. He was denied. They refused to even give him an opportunity to talk about this. So you've got a legislature that's sitting there and, and refusing to do anything to fix the problems at hand. And, and I'll just say this, you know, you talk about this being a, a bad process. Is this a worse process than PPT? where 10% of the legislature was indicted? Is this a worse process than ACEs, where you had a bill written by a former oil company lobbyist and then heard by two ConocoPhillips executives in the legislature, which passed by one vote? This is a far superior process to either one of those. All right, thank you for that. And a final response from the opposition. Thank you, Drew. Let's talk about process a bit. The balance of your statements were about process. In the case of a ballot initiative, there is no process that's open to the public. There's no input. There were apparently 17 people that worked on it, but only two of them have allowed themselves to be named. There's been no independent economic analysis. There's no one, no process stopping that from happening for the proponents. And I would say that anyone who brings a ballot initiative in Alaska, whether it's on tax policy or any other policy, it's your burden to show Alaskans why they should vote yes. That includes an analysis of what's likely to happen if the ballot measure passes. So far, we're a few days from the ballots being mailed out to Alaskans, a few days from early voting starting. We have no analysis for Alaskans to see. All right. And so with that, uh, we'll turn it back uh, to the opposition to ask a question of the proposition. Thank you, Drew. I'd like to bring this back to my introduction, which is what this is truly about, and more importantly, who this is about, which is our people. I shared pictures of one of our oil workers and his family, and there are tens of thousands of people like him who directly and indirectly rely on a healthy industry for their livelihoods. We've heard Vote Yes say over and over that this won't impact those jobs, but the proponents have done no modeling, and they haven't conducted any third-party research to back up those claims. Why should we as Alaskans trust those 15 unnamed individuals and the two that have been named on blind faith? What evidence do you have that this won't crater our economy and put those thousands of Alaskans' jobs at risk. All right. Uh, one of the speakers from the proposition want to take that on. You want to go around or you want me to go? Go ahead. Give me some time. and we got a few things to say. Great. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Um, it's basic common sense. For decades, we had a 12.5% gross tax in this state. For decades, we got 27% of the value of our oil in this state. We're now getting 12.5% of the value of our oil. This will raise it so that we get... 22.5% of the value of our oil. We'll still be getting less than our oil. We'll still be getting less for our oil than when the oil industry was pumping out over a million barrels per day. We'll still be getting less for our oil than when oil was at eight, nine, $10 per barrel. So uh, I think there's a little bit of basic common sense. And as far as the modeling goes, 
Let's talk about the modeling. Let's talk about the fact that the oil industry promised more jobs, more production, more investment, more revenue, and a growing PFD if we gave them this massive tax cut. And what did we get from all those promises? We got 5,500 less jobs. We got uh, hundreds of millions of dollars less from $826 million down to $202 million at Prudhoe Bay investment, a massive cut in investment at Prudhoe Bay. We got billions less in investment on the North Slope after they promised us more. We got $1.6 billion less in revenue in the first six months of Senate Bill 21 being in effect and a negative tax rate in the last five years. You can't do much worse than what we've currently got. Let me uh, add just a few things. First, our position isn't to convince you that there's no negative impact. There's going to be a massive positive impact. We're keeping $1.1 billion more of our wealth on average per year. And the modeling, Aaron, you should have checked the press release. We put out modeling. We had a look back for the last five years. We would have brought in $5.5 billion more, $1.1 billion a year under the actual conditions we've lived under, under Senate Bill 21. $1.1 billion more of our oil wealth left in Alaska. And there's a question in your mind about whether that will help. That's 11,000 jobs at $100,000 a year. That's more jobs than the entire oil industry employs altogether. They're at 9,000 jobs now. And, and, and a third of those, 3,000 of those are from out-of-state workers. We have 6,000 jobs in Alaska, so we know what the positive impact is going to be. The positive impact is going to be the financial equivalent of 11,000 new jobs in Alaska being paid $100,000 a year. That's what leaving $1.1 billion more in our economy does. Imagine this is simple, that there's a bucket here and there's a bucket there, and there's another billion point one in that other bucket. Which one do you think has the greatest economic activity? And it multiplies. It multiplies by five or six or seven to one. We'll have six or seven billion dollars more activity because of the oil wealth we keep in Alaska. Now, let me shift over to the oil industry because all this is away from the industry. Just a couple um, more seconds. There, there, isn't, there isn't one bit of evidence that will impact one job in the industry, period. All right. Thank you much for that. And uh, so one minute follow-up. Uh, Aaron, it looks like Roger is asking to take this. Is that okay, Aaron? Just, just to relate an anecdote from history. The 1989 oil tax change, just like the Fair Share Act, targeted high tax rates for big fields. Immediately after that passed, the producers switched their investments from the high tax fields to the low tax fields. Immediately after that, the, the tax became anemic and production dropped. It took 17 years to change it. The industry hated the tax before it was passed and after, after they figured out how to reduce their taxes, they loved it. Production dropped. And the only difference between then and now is now they can switch their investments to the MPRA where the state gets no royalty. We have a minute to respond, Drew. Yeah, you guys, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah. Sorry, I lost so, track. Uh, you know, we don't need history. Uh, we don't need uh, th that analogy at all. Prudhoe Bay, keep your eye on Prudhoe Bay. If we screw up Prudhoe Bay, we screw up Alaska. Before Senate Bill 21, in 2013, there was $826 million of capital invested in Prudhoe Bay. Under Senate Bill 21 in 2018, there was 202 million, one quarter of the investment. We gave away billions of dollars of our oil wealth and got one fourth the investment in there. Don't sit here and talk economic principles to me. They're harvesting this field and you're lowering the rate when they're harvesting it. Nobody that understands economics takes a low cost, 
high profit field and lowers the rate and gives their oil away when that oil is going to be produced anyway. That's fundamental economics. And I want to go back to how do we know this? Okay, Texas raised their royalty rate from 12.5% to 25% 30 years ago. Zero impact on production or the industry. The GAO has done two massive studies on the impact of, ro uh, of increasing royalty rates. Yes, take notes. Uh, take, uh, uh, taking, uh, increasing the state's royalty because the 12 and a half we, we get is based on a 1920s law that everybody's left behind. We're getting nothing in royalty, we're getting half. And both of those studies show that, <clears throat> that the landowner was better off. And then finally, ACEs. You guys are talking about ACEs like it, like it was a death thing. We got more money and more jobs under ACEs than we did under Senate Bill 21 by a magnitude of six. Thank you much, Robin. That one was an opposition question. That was the second, op so second proposition question for the opposition. I haven't seen, if the uh, Fair Share Act passes, based on the modeling that we've done, that we've released, detailed modeling that's available on our website, and that's available to link on the press release. You can see the calculations and the look back calculations. You can see that we would have brought in $1.1 billion or the whole time that Senate Bill 21 has been there, we would have brought in in total $5.5 billion more. Think of what that could have done for Alaska. Think about the jobs that could have created. Think about the economic activity for that. You know, it's just not about you guys in the oil patch. It's about all of Alaska. It's about state workers, it's about policemen, it's about firemen, it's about teachers. It's about, we haven't had a capital budget since Senate Bill 21 was passed. So what single bit of evidence do you have that the Fair Share Act is gonna impact either new development that it doesn't apply to or existing fields that are being harvested that are massively profitable? All right, thank you for the question. And it looks like Roger wants to take this one. So during ACES, the producers made a list of projects they could not develop under that tax. They, they put the list out there. When, when SB 21 was passed, they produced those projects. That's why, that's why production in 2020 is gonna be 100,000 barrels a day more than it would have been under ACES. And that's at a forecasted price, $60 less. SB 21 was engineered around the fact that production under ACES was, was the investment was a quarter of what it was worldwide and production was falling fast. The, the premise was we knew all this oil, extra oil was out there. If, if it could get produced with a reasonable tax, your revenues would go up. And it's, it's incontrovertible. If you look at what we would have got under ACES with a forecasted production versus what we're getting under SB 21, it's more. The same people who are, who are supporting this ballot initiative supported the one in 2014 to retain ACEs. If they had had their way, we would have got received less money over the last five years than what we got under SB 21. And that result is, has been affirmed by the Department of Revenue. All right, you guys have 30 seconds left. Aaron, did you have anything to add to that? I'll add one comment. Robin has cherry picked a few facts. I wrote one of them down about Texas royalty. What he didn't share is that the state of Texas own, owns almost no land in the state. Well over 90% of the oil produced in Texas is produced off of private lands where the royalty rates negotiated between the private landowner and the producing company. 
So picking and choosing facts like that is super dangerous. That's why we've produced economic analyses that are available to the public that shows ballot measure one is bad public policy. All right, and a one minute follow up. Okay, uh, well first to go to the last question first, uh, the University of Texas lands uh, funds the entire university districts uh, in Texas apparently, Aaron, we weren't familiar with that. And they all get 25% royalty. They have a massive interest in, uh, in the major fields down there. Uh, in addition, it doesn't matter whether it's private or public, the private landowners get more than, than, the, uh, than the states do, almost without exception. So if what you want to do is expand the conversation to include landowners that are private, they get much more because they negotiate better than states usually. The state gets a minimum of 25%. The private landowners that you say that I'm leaving out and cherry picking get more, particularly from major fields. Now, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, so Roger's basic point is, is that projects didn't get done. But you know, if we don't get our share, it doesn't matter if projects get done or not. If production goes up and we don't get any of it, it doesn't matter. And what you guys aren't taking into consideration is that the production under ACES, we did much better under ACES than we're doing under Senate Bill 21 because we're, we're bringing in massively more money. If you take a look at the state deficit from before to now, the major difference is we used to have $4 right, billion dollars over there with production revenues Time's up. and now we have zero. For these, just so we can try and uh, get done something close to on time, if we can try and keep them uh, pretty close to the, the times, uh, we got one minute left for the opposition. Royalties. So we're kind of, we're kind of comparing Prudhoe Bay, we're comparing legacy field to legacy field. The legacy fields in Texas, there are plenty of 12.5% royalty fields in Texas that go way back um, to, the, to the era when Prudhoe Bay started. Um, the royalties you're talking about are for new fields that came in with, with the oil shale. And so if we want to compare legacy field to legacy fields, um, you're, they're, again, there are plenty of 12.5% royalty fields in Texas. The other thing is, because Alaska's costs are so much higher, you can have, in Texas, they can have a higher royalty rate and a higher, you know, their, their combined royalty and severance tax rate can be higher than ours. And because their costs are $20 more than theirs, the producers can still make much more money with those rates than they can here. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, all of our speakers, for a spirited and civil discourse this evening. Um, I think all of the debaters did a wonderful job, and uh, thank you guys all for so much for tuning in. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. You just heard a debate about Ballot Measure 1, the North Slope Oil Production Tax Increase Initiative. For the entire event or more content, head to the Addressing Alaskans page on alaskapublic.org. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Ammon Swenson. Addressing Alaskans is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Theme music is by Patrick Lee. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. To let us know about an upcoming community event that you would like to hear on Addressing Alaskans, go to our website at alaskapublic.org and click on Contact Us at the bottom of the page. Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.